So, you know, relationships are hard, man. I mean, it's been a while since I've been in one, probably since uh, last, uh, this past uh, September 2017. But, you know, they, they take work and commitment. Um, I was married for, for over 20 years. Probably, not probably, the second uh, serious relationship I ever had in my life. Uh, you know, I had a, a high school sweetheart, kind of like everybody did, and we got kind of serious. I went off to the Air Force and um, had great plans. of. It, she was pregnant at the time, as a matter of fact, and um, I decided to join the Air Force to try and better my life. I had uh, tried college and some different things and had moved out of the house, was living at... Uh, at a guy's house uh, apartment out near the Air Force Base here in Charleston and um, just kind of saw the lifestyle that uh, he and his roommate had, his other roommate had. They were both in the Air Force. They were uh, senior airmen at the time. E-4, uh, for those of you that uh, like uh, the ranks because you don't know the different ranks for all the different branches. But So I would just see them come home every day, and I saw the money in their pocket. I saw the sharp uniforms they were wearing. I got to hear all the stories about all the fun stuff they did at work during the during the work day. You know, they'd leave early in the morning. They'd come home 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, you know, we'd party the rest of the day, whatever. But uh, just had great stories, and I just thought that the lives that they were leading and, and the money that they had in their pocket was just it was inspirational to me. And I started asking them a lot of questions about. Um, about the Air Force and, you know, hey, what it's, what's it all about? Is it hard? How's the training? All the questions that, you know, a 19-year-old guy is going to ask. And they said, yeah, man, it's just great. It's a great uh, job. It's great security. We have a lot of fun. We make some pretty decent cash. Um, you know, they pay us a housing allowance tax-free for this apartment that we're staying in. Just all these things it just filled my head. And I was like done with college, man. I'd gone... I think I got an incomplete in pretty much every class that I went to because I just never, well, I say went to, I never went to them. That's the problem. So I got an incomplete in pretty much everything there at uh, Trident Technical College. I used to, to just cut all my classes and go out to the beach. I did get interested. I was, I was, I'm getting way off on a tangent here. I was talking about relationships, but I'll get to the point here in a moment. I, um, I was majoring in criminal justice. I had a minor in psychology. I really wanted to be an FBI agent or a, a, a narcotics detective at the time. I had some friends of mine that were doing some pretty hardcore drugs, and I had done some stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong, but um, I kind of left that scene once I left uh, North Charleston and moved up to Somerville. Uh, and you know, after my gang days, if you've listened to to the Jana Riley episode, go back and listen to that episode. You'll hear all about the gang days, uh, the gang that I was in. But what was my point? My point was. Yeah, I'd gotten away from all that, and I had some friends that had kind of gone down a dark road, and I wanted to be one of the guys that fought that because I, I didn't know any different at the time. I didn't know anything about drugs, about marijuana, about uh, some of the benefits and some things, but anything could be abused. I mean, you can abuse water, you can abuse salt, you can abuse sugar, you can abuse caffeine, so... Anyway, I don't want to get into that big story. So I was going to college, not really. I wasn't going to classes. Um, I was getting incompletes. My parents gave me an ultimatum and said, look, you know, we'll, we'll pay for one more semester and that's it. If you don't uh, buck up and, and kind of get good grades, then you're out of here. You either got to start paying rent or you got to uh, you got to move out <clears throat> or, you know, we're not going to support you anymore. So I said, all right, fine. Well, I'm not going back to school and I'll just kind of move out. And I kind of uh, went and uh, started staying with uh, those guys that I was talking about. So anyway, 
I finally said, you know what, college isn't for me. I'm liking what these guys are talking to me about the Air Force, so let me go talk to an Air Force recruiter. So I did that. I went down to the recruiting office there. Um, I knew I really didn't want to do anything except the Air Force. I had aspirations when I was a kid as being a Marine because I thought the Marines were cool, they were tough, and you know the commercials were cool. And my grandmother at the time on my mother's side always told me, no way, no how, do not ever join the Marine Corps. Uh, her husband was uh, started off in the Navy and then transferred from the Navy to the to the Air Force and retired as a Chief Master Sergeant, an E9. <clears throat> so anyway, I went down to talk to an Air Force recruiter. I said, "That's that's where I want to go. That's where it seems to be. That's where the intelligent people go. They have the most technology. They've got the best benefits, from what I've been told." Of course, the Air Force recruiter backed all that up and and just showed me everything that I that I need to know. And I was already sold even before I went into the recruiting office, to be honest. So she didn't have much selling to do. Um, I was an Air Force recruiter while I was in the Air Force, too. So I, I know all about having to sell somebody on something. But she didn't have to sell me. I, I had my mind made up. I said, man, I got this girlfriend um, that I really love. You know, it was just my first love is what it was. Um, I happened to get pregnant. And I said, I need to support this. So... <clears throat> They sent me up to the MEP station up at Fort Jackson in Columbia, South Carolina, and I went up there and, and was doing my physical. Well, during my physical, some things came out that I mentioned that I shouldn't have mentioned because my Air Force recruiter told me I shouldn't have mentioned them, and they ended up disqualifying me on a on a morals um, on morals because I had had some uh, you know some activity that. Uh, they didn't find conducive to the Air Force lifestyle. So I came back home. I had to go to my recruiter and say, man, I'm sorry. I opened my big mouth. You told me to kind of just, she didn't tell me to lie, but she told me that, uh, anyway, she didn't tell me to lie, but you know, I, I feel like I'm a fairly honest guy. So once I got up there, I just kind of I guess I got nervous and I spilled the beans. I had plenty of applicants do that when I was a recruiter as well. You know, some things just, uh, anyway. So she said, no problem, man. It's not a big deal. Um, yeah, we probably could have uh, done without all that. But what we'll do is we'll do what they call a morals waiver. So I just had to, they had to fill out some paperwork. I had to write a statement as to, to what, uh, a couple of things that were, what, what happened with a couple of things that I mentioned I had to, you know, get a couple um, character uh, letters, you know, from people, influential people at uh, high school, coaches, um, teachers, whatever, that would write a letter uh, standing up for my character. So I got all this paperwork together. I, I brought it back to the recruiter. I submitted it. They had to forward it up. I had to wait, you know, a, a couple weeks for them to review the paperwork, send back whether I was it was approved or disapproved, and it came back approved. So... Recruiter sent me back up to the MEP station. I finished my physical. I got my guaranteed job as a physical therapy technician. And two weeks later, I was on a bus um, going to the airport uh, from Fort Jackson Army Base, going to the airport to get on a plane to go to San Antonio, Texas. I'm not going to get into the rest of the Air Force story. <clears throat> That's a story for another day. But back to the relationship. So, I get there and, you know, a week goes by, a couple of weeks go by. I finally get a, I get my first phone call when I get there. Of course, I call my parents and I think I, I think I called my girlfriend, but I think I was only allowed one phone call at the time. So I, I you know, saved that for my parents. 
Um, as time goes by, you get a little more leeway, you get a little more freedom, you get more phone calls, you get more time on the phone. And I ended up being able to talk to my girlfriend eventually. Well, she tells me that she lost the baby and, you know, had a miscarriage and, um, whatever. So I'm, I'm like, okay, that's no big deal. I'll, I'll come back and, you know, we'll figure all this thing out. So I ended up graduating basic training with honors, you know, all this great stuff. And I go off to technical training, which, um, you know, is your follow on training for your actual job. So the basic training is just kind of teaching you the particulars of the military, of the Air Force in general, some history. Uh, you're learning how to pay attention to detail, do all these types of things. You're getting fit. Um, they're just kind of indoctrinating you. Well, then you go off to your formal training, which was physical therapy school. And I went up to Wichita Falls, Texas. Well, while I'm at Wichita Falls, Texas, I, um, I had lost a key to my locker one time and they're, you know, therefore the military is about security, right? We're about securing our nation. So they're real big on security. I ended up <clears throat> losing the key to my locker and as a punishment, um, I had to go sit down in what they called CQ, which is the, the kind of headquarters, uh, the front desk of the, of the dormitory that, that you reside in. And they always had somebody at CQ. They were checking IDs when people came in to make sure that they were authorized to be in that building. So I'm down there doing my uh, punishment on CQ duty, you know, full uniform. Everybody else is out having a good time. They're in their civilian clothes. They're out dancing, uh, drinking if they were of age already at that time, just having a good time. A couple, uh, and, and my punishment was, not only did I have to sit there and check everybody's ID, make sure they're authorized to come into that building, but I also had to uh, check everybody's keys and make sure that everybody had their keys on them like they were supposed to. So it was just, you know, it was fun for these guys to kind of to kind of pick on you, but they were doing it for a reason. They were doing it to say, hey, man, this 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 serious serious shit that you're doing here in the Air Force, you can't be losing keys, you can't be losing, you know, uh, stuff to a to a million dollar jet fight or whatever. So I could, you know. I didn't have a hard time with it. I, I felt like I deserved the punishment. I, d I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Well, all of a sudden, um, these two girls come in, um, you know, wearing uh, yoga pants, and they just got some T-shirts on, real cute little girls, and they're just having a good time laughing, whatever. And I'm like, man, this girl, this one girl is, is super cute, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of have some fun with her here at the desk and just, uh, you know, throw some game at her. And... She kind of uh, kind of fell for it a little bit, and I could tell she was kind of into me, and uh, we kind of had a little vibe going on. Come to find out, she was from South Carolina as well, so we kind of had uh, a little bit of stuff to share as far as the state of South Carolina, places that we had been. Uh, even some of the people that we knew uh, were some of the same people and, and hung in some of the same circles, even though we were uh, two and a half hours away from each other our entire lives. So uh, she was a pharmacy technician or studying to be a pharmacy technician and the, the pharmacy and the physical therapy um, people resided and there was a few other people in this dormitory as well but we kind of resided in the same dormitory I was on the second floor and the pharmacy the girls at least the girls were on the third floor the guys were on the second floor um, I can't remember what the first floor was but so we would all march to school in the morning. We'd form up in our big formations. We'd march over to the uh, to the schoolhouse, and the pharmacy and the physical therapy school was in the same building as well. 
So I kind of ran into her a couple of times. I, um, there was a girl there that I noticed was friends with her. And I said, Hey, I said, I talked to that girl the other night and we kind of hit it off a little bit. I'm kind of interested in her. Hey, would you put in, she was actually in my class, but I saw that she was hanging out with uh, some of the people in the pharmacy class as well. And ended up putting in a good word for me. Next thing you know, bada boom, bada bing. We're talking, we're hanging out, we're doing everything together. We're, we're inseparable at this point. So <clears throat> a couple of weeks go by, we're getting kind of hot and heavy. We've, you know, gone off base a few times. We've gone off to, um, you know, some hotels. We've gone to some different clubs out in, in Wichita Falls in town. We've taken uh, a trip down to a long weekend trip down to Dallas, um, Fort Worth. So we're, 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 you know, we're moving. We're really enjoying each other. We have tons in common. Uh, we're having a good time. I'm, of course, have forgotten, not forgotten, but I've kind of moved on from my little high school sweetheart and figured out, hey, this girl's got uh, got a life going on. She's got a, a vision. She's got a drive. Um, like I said, we had tons in common. And about a month later, I ended up calling my, um, well, let's back up a little bit. So about a month later, I ended up, uh, she had gotten orders to Oklahoma to go to Oklahoma to be stationed there. And I had gotten orders to Georgia. So we started talking. We're like, man, this is going to suck when we can't be with each other anymore. And, you know, I, I really, we really wanted to be with each other. So I said, we were standing in the hallway. I remember we were standing in the stairwell because that's where we would, uh, you know, end our night with each other was in the stairwell as she was getting re- ready to make her way up to the third floor. And <clears throat> we um, we were standing there talking about this whole situation and how, how absolutely horrible it was that we had found each other and that we were getting ready to be torn apart. So I said, what would you think if we got married and if we got married, they would have to do what they call a joined spouse where you're, they, you, you put in a request that your spouse joins you at whatever location that you're going to. So she accepted. I mean, that was kind of a proposal of sorts, I guess. I didn't get on a knee. I didn't actually say, Hey, will you marry me? I just said, Hey, well, you know, we could do this. We could do this and stay together. So I said, where would you, would we want to go to Oklahoma or would we want to go to Georgia. So we decided that we wanted to go to Georgia because it was close to home. It was about a five hour drive from Valdosta, Georgia to, to Charleston. And then a couple more, you know, a few hours up to, um, to Lakeview, South Carolina, where she was from right above Florence. So we slept on it. <clears throat> the following, um, I don't know if it was a Tuesday. I want to say it was a Tuesday or a Wednesday. We, Got out of school. We took a cab because we got out usually around three o'clock or so. We took a, a cab. There was no Ubers at this point, obviously. Uh, this is 1992. We took a cab down to the courthouse. We got a mayor's license for 25 bucks. We made an appointment to go to the justices of peace. Oh, and by the way, we had another couple. The one of the girls that came in with her that night. Um, we had another couple with us that were doing the same thing. They'd known each other for about a month and they were going to get married. So we decided we'd do it as a joint venture. They would witness our marriage. We would witness their marriage. All you had to have was two witnesses. So we all go down to the justice's peace. We get our marriage license for 25 bucks. 
We go to the Justice of Peace and we get married. Now the fun begins because now we all have to call our parents. We have to tell them, hey, we eloped. Uh, no wedding. Sorry. Uh, you're not going to be invited to the wedding because uh, we're already married. And then, of course, the um, the dreaded phone call I had to make to my now, obviously, ex-girlfriend. Well, maybe not until I'd made the phone call, I guess, and made it official. But had to call her and say, hey, sorry, we had a great time, um, junior, senior year of uh, high school. Um, but I found somebody else, and I've moved on, and I'm actually married. So anyway, this is way off of what I was going to talk about tonight. This is way deep in the weeds, <clears throat> but I kind of just wanted to give you, I don't know. I don't know even know why I went that direction because this wasn't about that story whatsoever, but it, I guess it just became interesting. I thought it would maybe I needed a little bit of backstory. So we stood the test of time. The other couple that got married, they lasted, I think, a year and a half and they were divorced. We barely lasted a year, and then we barely lasted two years. And if you read my book, you'll kind of understand all this. Um, it's all fun and games until I'm not, I didn't do any ads up front. On my, I might do some at the end of this podcast, but I felt like uh, this subject, I just wanted to, to jump right into it. So at least the first eight years, we should have been divorced. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a story in the book um, where we actually went Two, and I'm going to come back around to this because I've got another story that ties into this actual chapter. But we, um, at, at about the five-year mark, we had actually applied for a divorce. We paid for it. We paid for a divorce. We actually um, filed bankruptcy at the same time and filed for divorce. We went through with the bankruptcy. We did that, and that uh, affected us for the, the next seven years. <clears throat> And even, even further than that, up to about 10 years, but at least the first seven were, were tough. And we decided to work on our marriage and not get divorced. So we, we spent, I want to say, 500 bucks on, on to get a divorce. And then we, we went to the court date and we told the judge we decided we do not want to divorce. So <clears throat> we stayed together. Um, I'm not going to go into all the other details um, obviously we divorced. So we had some more trials and tribulations. We kept saying, Hey, we're the ones that made it. Everybody said we couldn't make it. We only knew each other for a month. We got married. Now we've got two kids. We got successful careers. We got houses, we got cars, we got all everything everybody ever dreams of, right? We're, we're living the dream as they say. Um, a little over 20 years goes by and things fall apart. I asked for a divorce, um, for various reasons, maybe one, podcast I'll talk about all that but so <clears throat> I divorce um, there in Las Vegas uh, I retired three months after I divorced so I'm I'm now retired I'm divorced uh, I've lost half my income plus I've lost another half of my income by by separating from or divorcing my uh, wife at the time so I'm having trouble finding work uh, I'm in Las Vegas, which has all kinds of temptations. I just spiral out of control. I was in a relationship um, during my separation and after my divorce that uh, there was no way it was going to work. I wanted it to work badly. Um, fantastic woman. She had just recently got divorced as well. Actually, about a month or two months before I got divorced, she got her divorce was final. 
And, you know, we kind of connected because we had a common bond in that aspect because we had both been cheated on. Um, we had both had um, similar situations in our marriage. Uh, we both did some stuff. They both did some stuff. We had just a lot of commonality, and that joined us together. But it just it was just too soon for both of us. There was no way we were going to make that, uh, that situation work. You know, a lot of people were called a rebound thing. I don't know. I don't know if I believe in all that rebound stuff that you can't have a rebound relationship work out. I guarantee you, you can, but you got to work hard. And we didn't put the work in. And I just, I wasn't ready. Let's be honest. I was not ready. I think she was. I just could not let go of the past. <clears throat> Which is leading into the rest of the story. So, relationships are hard. You gotta you gotta work on them. I decided to leave Las Vegas because I was I, I blew pretty much through every bit of savings that I had, every every uh, mutual fund that I that I invested in for my entire career, every four hundred one k that I had started uh, late investing in. I blew through every <clears throat> every penny of it i decided i could not live in vegas anymore i couldn't afford it i was living with my brother at the time i couldn't afford to pay rent anymore i couldn't afford to pay some of the credit cards that i was left with in the divorce and i was applying for jobs i wasn't able to get any you know i didn't get my college degree while i was in the air force it makes it kind of tough depending on what you're trying to get. And now I realize I could have gotten work. I just wasn't getting the work that I needed to get just to get myself through a bad situation. Um, I spiraled out of control. I drank like a fish. I mean, I was a drunk. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just put it out there straight. So I picked up all my stuff. I told, I told my brother, um, my son was still, my youngest son was still there living with my, my now ex in their new apartment. My oldest son was at Northern Arizona State University, so he was on his own doing his own thing. I picked up and just, I think within a two or three week time frame, I told my brother, I'm, I'm moving out, man. I'm, I'm going back to South Carolina. I packed up, um, I shipped all my stuff through the military back to South Carolina to a storage unit. I packed up my 1983 Toyota Supra with uh, everything that I needed to carry with me on a, on a trip. I packed up my dog, put her in the in the hatchback. I laid down in the back seats, and I put her bed back there in a water bowl and just some comfy stuff, a few toys for her to play with. I put some snacks and some food for her to eat. Uh, I had my book bag with just the necessities in it that I needed, a shaving kit, um, whatever. My plan was to drive uh, from Vegas all the way across to, to, to Charleston, South Carolina, and my plan was to stop a few places here and there and just, um, you know, hit a few hotels, take a few days to kind of make the trek across. I don't remember what the mileage was. I want to say it's 2,600 miles or so from Vegas to Charleston. <clears throat> so we get in the car and start going. My plan was, this was May. My plan was to surprise my mother for Mother's Day. So I left, um, I guess I left early or early on that Saturday morning and I drove the entire trip. Stopped for gas here and there. Um, one point at about 5 a.m. in the morning on that Sunday morning, I was going, I was close to Memphis, Tennessee, I think, going through there. 
And I just could not keep my eyes open any longer. I was from about 2 a.m. in the morning until, until almost 5, I was dozing off. I was, I'd wake up and I was in the, in, in the other lane. Um, I was just exhausted because, I mean, I'd been driving nonstop. So I told myself, okay, and it was raining at this point too. So I told myself, okay, you're going to stop at a, at a gas station. You're going to sit back. You're going to take a little bit of nap. And you're going to get up and keep moving because you're going to surprise your mother on Mother's Day. So I did just that. I took an hour nap, Sophie and I, um, in the car while it was raining. Just laid the seat back in my Supra and we, and we took a nap. I woke up as the as the sun was breaking. So it was, you know, 6 a.m. or whatever time the sun was coming up. Started the car back up, took back off. Ended up pulling into uh, my parents' driveway at about noon on Mother's Day and just surprised the hell out of everybody. So, um, did some Match.com stuff, had some just insignificant meetups, and next thing I know, this is 2014, I think um, late June of 2014, I ended up meeting the next girl that I want to spend the rest of my life with. And this is kind of where the story started. Um, and I, I was having a conversation with somebody last night, and it, it, it brought this... It brought this, um, it picked off the scab on this wound because I'm going to be straight up. I've been since September, easily since September, maybe October, maybe maybe since December um, when um, things finally finalized and I knew that there was no chance that this relationship was going to work out. Um, I've been I've been trying to numb my pain with alcohol and it's marijuana. I'm going to put it out there. I'm not afraid to. I know it's not uh, legal here in South Carolina, but you know it's here in South Carolina. And it should be, but so between the two substances, I did everything I could to stay in a numb state, to stay in a constant state of inebriation. So I didn't have to feel anything. I didn't want to feel. I was tired of feeling. I was tired of feelings. And I knew this was going to get emotional. And that's why I wanted to get it out of the way up front. Um, because I don't want to end on a somber note. Um, we were together for uh, on and off a couple of times for two and a half years, pretty much. The first time uh, we started this thing, it was, you know, you know, like all new relationships are. They're wonderful in the beginning. They're um, you know, you're just blinded by all these emotions that you're not really, I think you're seeing this, you're seeing the person, but you're not really seeing the whole situation as it really is. You're seeing just the newness of it. You're seeing, um, all the bells and whistles, all the hearts and the clovers and the rainbows and the sunshines and, uh, you know, you're seeing all that stuff. And I thought I was ready for all that. I thought I was ready for those feelings again after, you know, only 
really a year after I'd been divorced, I thought I was ready. And, you know, already I had kind of gotten used to being single already. I'd gotten used to going out and doing my own thing and having my own time and, and having time with my, uh, friends. Um, some would say they're not really friends. They were just acquaintances at, at bars, but I started hanging out that, um, kind of continued, you know, what I was doing in Vegas to a lesser extent. Um, I was hanging out just trying to meet people, just trying to hang out in town, trying to get a feel of, of the town that I had left for 20 plus years. And I'd made a lot of contacts. I made a lot of friends and I had, uh, you know, places that I frequented often. And then all of a sudden this, I don't want to call it a wrench, but this wrench comes into uh, my life. And now I'm having a hard time balancing um, because it's new and I'm, I'm, I'm not used to it anymore. I'm not used to a relationship. I'm not used to have somebody that uh, that's depending on me. And, you know, she has uh, two kids as well. So I, I just wasn't ready. At the first incarnation, we called it uh, uh, version 1.0, you know, original, right? I just wasn't ready. And I was having a hard, real hard time trying to find the right balance of how can I still entertain and, and be with these people that I had met and, and some of these acquaintance, acquaintances that I had and um, people that I had befriended and had become confidants in my life? How do I now balance that with, uh, with this woman and her two children that are expecting me to be there for them at all times? And I just couldn't balance that. There was, I just, I couldn't find a way to do it. I mean, I could do it, right? Of course I could do it. Maybe I didn't want to do it. Maybe I wasn't, I just wasn't ready to do it. So we ended up um, splitting up because of that, because I was, my priorities weren't uh, quite right yet. I, I was prioritizing going to the bar and hang out with, with all these people and, and having a few drinks and whatever versus going and sitting with them and going out to dinner and going to this and that. I thought I was giving them enough time, but... She was telling me I wasn't, and I wasn't listening. Fast forward, um, a little month breakup, maybe a couple months. I can't remember. Time gets away from you. but So I beg and plead. I'm like, come on, please give me another shot. I really think this is, this, this, is, uh, this, is, this is something. I really think this is what we both want. I think it's what we both need. Uh, let's give this another shot. So here we go. Version 2.0. I go in, um, I'm really doing everything that I can to reassure her that, uh, she's my priority and that I'm not, um, that I'm done with the other lifestyle. I'm done with all that. Of course, you guessed it. I kind of get sucked back in. I start giving a little bit more of my time back to, um, you know, once things kind of settle and we kind of get back into a groove again, I started, started giving a little more time back to the other people in my life. And it was hard for me to give those people up because they had been there for me when I first came back and I was struggling for a year to kind of fit in. I was living with my parents. Uh, I was in a super depressed state. Um, I've talked about it loosely on a couple podcasts, but um, there was some times, you know, I didn't want to be around anymore in life. So I needed both of those. I needed both of those things. At least I thought I did at the time. I needed this relationship, but I also needed the relationship with these other people in my life. And again, I kind of lost my balance and I kind of uh, started going back to the other side 
But this time I decided, you know, here, here's a smart thing. Here's what I'll do. Here, here's the, here's the, the real uh, smart thing to do is let's hide it from her. Because what she doesn't know won't hurt her, right? And I don't want to hurt her. I don't want to hurt her at all. So I tell her, um, you know, I, I don't know, stupid, stupid. And I can't say it was young and stupid because I'm 45 goddamn years old. But I would leave, you know, spend all night with her. And then leave the house. Um, she would want me to stay sometimes. Sometimes I would. Um, but I would leave the house and say I was going back to my house. And I would leave early enough so I could stop back by this these places to hang out with some of these other people that I enjoyed hanging out with. I was trying to still share my time. And I was lying about it. And I would not tell her that I went to those places because I didn't want to hurt her. And... I thought I was doing the right thing. In my mind, in my convoluted mind, uh, blinded by alcohol still, um, thought I was doing the right thing. I was just trying to keep her safe. I was just trying not to upset her. I was trying not to hurt her. And I was trying to still have that, that balance and ended up biting me in the ass ended up uh she ended up finding out that i would do that and she got hurt rightfully so and said hey i can't i can't do this i can't be with somebody because now now you've broken my trust so a few months go by um i stopped drinking completely totally cold turkey giving it up so i go and i beg her i said look i haven't i'm not drinking i'm not going to the bars anymore I'm not doing it. You can trust me. I was stupid. I was only trying to 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 not hurt you. Let's give this let's give this another shot because I love you and this is this is what I want. Version 3.0. Things are going not so fantastic. Um, both of us walking on eggshells. Mainly her. She is having. A real hard time. She's put her guard up. She's put a brick wall back up. She is waiting for me to just go the other direction again. And I start to go the other direction slightly, ever, ever so slightly. And I really, I really didn't even, I really didn't go the other direction. She, thought I was going the other direction, the entire 3.0, she was ready for me to go the other direction. She didn't, I I feel she didn't give me the fair chance. That I, I didn't deserve a fair chance. Let's, let's just, let's just say that I didn't deserve it. And rightfully so she never could regain her trust in me. And we ended up ending it or she ended it, said she couldn't do it, that she tried, she really tried. And she couldn't. So the whole moral to the story is, in a last-ditch effort, I felt like I was going to make this into this big fairy tale. And because I really, really wanted to be with this girl. This girl was the one. And I talked to my parents about it. I talked to my mom exclusively about, exclu- exclusively about it. I talked to um, Siri. I'm not talking to you over here, buddy. Um, I didn't talk to Siri about it, but maybe I should have done that. But 
I talked to um, my sister-in-law about it. I, I talked to a few confidants that I had and said, man, what do I do? What do I do? I really love this girl. I really want to be with her. I want to marry her. We, we had talked about marriage. We had talked about moving in with each other. We had talked about what do we do with the kids and what school do they go to and whose house do we move into and whose house do we sell. We talked about it, all this stuff. I just screwed it up. And I told myself and, and my my mother even thought that it would work as well. She gave me her, her great-grandmother's um, wedding band and engagement ring and told me to go propose to her. I said, I'm going to. I said, I love her. I said, I'm, I'm going to. And she said, you really think she's the one? And I said, yes. And she said, well, here's this ring. Go do it. Go get the girl. Long story, real long story. I don't even know how long I'm into it. But long story short, uh, she said no. She said no, and I mean, I don't blame her. You know, why would you want something that's uncertain? That's uns- I mean, I guess all marriage is, is uncertain. All, all all relationships are kind of uncertain, but when it's been broken that many times, it's 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 hard to put those pieces back back together. Um. <clears throat> so yeah, since um. Relationships are hard. They're tough. And you gotta you gotta be willing to put in the work. And you have to listen. I did not listen. It took me too long. I, 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 I was I, I tell you, one hundred percent I was ready on version four point Um a coworker of mine had turned me on to a book called um The Five Love Languages. I read that book back to front, front to back a couple times, and I finally figured out what I was doing wrong. If you haven't read that book, go get it. Get it on Audible, whatever. Listen to it. It's a fantastic book if you're in a relationship, if you want to be in a relationship, if you're married. If you've been married 50 years, get this book and find out if you're speaking the language of your of your significant other. I was not. All three versions. I was not speaking the right language. I thought I was speaking the right language, but I was speaking Chinese and she was speaking French. So version 4.0, I was ready. I had the tools. I had done the self-help and gone out and, and gotten the knowledge that I needed to make a relationship work. And I was ready to give up everything and anything to, to marry that woman. And she turned me down and I can't blame her. I can't blame her. So back to the moral of the story is I, um, I've kept myself numb since probably December and on Saturday night um, all these feelings came up again and I was drowning my sorrows as I normally would and instead of doing it in the safety of my own home um, I did it out you know, in a battlefield. Around town a few times, a few places. And really, really tied one on. I don't know why I'm saying all this, but this is not really what this podcast is about. It's about crafting conversations, but 
I want to be real with you guys. I want to share the good times with the bad times. And uh, let's just put it this way. I drove when I shouldn't have driven. And I don't even remember driving home. And, you know, I could have hurt myself, which, you know, sometimes I wish it wouldn't have been a bad thing. I don't wish, but, you know, I wouldn't, I'm not worried about myself, but I could have hurt somebody else. I could have hurt somebody else. I don't, I don't remember driving home. I um, drove through my front yard instead of up the driveway. I drove up the yard. Apparently, I don't. I didn't even realize all this until I woke up the next morning. But uh, walked out to go to work and get in my car, and and uh, the car, the same 1983 Super that we're talking about, is is resting against my garage door, and the front bumper had creased. Probably about a. I don't know if I'm looking at my hands right now. Probably a good uh, two feet, two foot, two feet, foot. I don't know. It's two. F- feet yes yeah, two feet there's two of them there's their feet so two feet um crease in the garage door luckily i didn't just drive you know straight through the house lucky i didn't drive into somebody else's house lucky i didn't drive into the back of my truck is it luck i don't know is it... so yeah with all that said, and I'm going to talk about some beer here in a minute, because I'm going to talk about some of the beers that I drank that night. It's a show about craft beer, loosely, at this point. I think um, that's not the direction I'm going to keep taking this podcast. I'll talk about beer. Um, we'll have some guests on that will talk about beer. We'll still have some people from breweries and what have you. But I think, you know, the direction I want to take this podcast, uh, since I've taken it over on my own, is... Um, it's a podcast for for you guys, for the public out there to, I want to help people, I want to tell stories like this one to maybe help, you know, somebody else's relationship. That's why I wrote that book, you know, back, um, back in 2006 when I published that thing. I started writing that thing in 2003, but... Um, took me a few years to get it done with but I want to help people that's what I want to do and am I helping people by talking about beer maybe I mean that's probably helping somebody to giving them telling them a good beer to drink telling them a good place to go have a beer um, but I want to take it more in a direction where I can motivate I can uh, inspire I can let people know that you can make mistakes. You can come back. You can you can make mistakes and come back. But sometimes you you can't come back. And I could have not come back the other night. I could have made somebody else not be able to come back by by running into them, by hitting them. And then, I, you know, now I was driving home tonight. I started my new job at, um, and by the way, I'm not drinking. That's kind of the moral to the story. Um, I was driving home tonight from my new job. I, I worked all day at the coffee shop, and then I went over to Homegrown Brewhouse. It's a brewery. 
our brew house. It's got, you know, I've talked about it many times, every podcast, I think now still I've talked about it and, um, I'm going to work there. I'm not afraid to work at a place that serves beer and I'm not going to drink. Um, will I not drink forever? I don't know, but I know I need to reset my life right now. I need to, I need to, you know, I, I drove home tonight and I'm thinking about the people that I could have, I could have killed. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself as I'm driving home sober, which, uh, you know, let's be honest, it hadn't happened very often. Um, like I said, since December, but I'm driving home thinking to myself as I'm sober driving home, how many people around me right now are as drunk as I was, as I was the other night. How many people are out here? putting their lives and other people's lives in danger. And you know, what if I would have died? What about my kids? What about my parents, my brothers, everybody else I leave behind? But you know, you don't, you don't, you don't think about those things when you're numb. I mean, that's the point of being numb. You don't want to have those feelings. You don't want to feel. You don't want to think about anybody else but yourself. It's selfish. <sighs> so anyway, that's where I've been the last uh, the last few months, nine months, whatever. So relationships are hard. That's all I was saying. That's all I started off with was relationships are hard. I was, I had not intended to go into any of that except the story about me asking a girl to marry me and her turning me down. That's, that's, that was really the only point of the story. But then it got out of control, guys. So, and now we're, uh, now we're 48 minutes in. I wasn't even going to do a show tonight. Like I said, I worked all day. I'm, uh, what's, what time is it now? I am 25, I'm 26 and a half hours into a fast to a water, uh, black coffee and tea only fast. I'm trying to detox. I'm trying to reset. I'm trying to feel again. And I figured a fast was a good way to, to kind of just reboot my system. You know, sometimes you just got to reboot. I mean, that's what you got to do with your cell phone. It's what you got to do with your computer. Sometimes you got to unplug your TV because this ain't fucking working right. Sometimes you just got to unplug and you have to reboot and let things just kind of resync up. And that's what I'm doing right now. And, you know, same thing with this podcast that I started with Caleb. Nothing against Caleb. I'm not uh, going to badmouth Caleb at all. We both went into this thing together. We went crazy. We started uh, drinking a ton of beer and having a good time. We were living, we're living rock star lives, man. And, uh, Caleb saw the light before I did. He saw that we were, we were being dangerous to ourselves and to others, but let's move on. How about that? How about we move on to my next Spartan race? I've talked about it the past few episodes and I keep saying, Oh man, I forgot to look up what the next Spartan race is going to be. So, 
we'll talk about that real quick and then I'll talk about the beers I drank the other day um, that uh, kind of caused me to, to to lose my memory I guess so to February 9th and 10th of 2019 there's an Arizona Sprint and a Super Weekend so man I'm sorry guys I'm all broken up over here but so the Arizona Sprint will be on that uh, Saturday, and then the Super will be on the Sunday. It's going to be at Fort McDowell Rodeo Grounds in Fort McDowell, Arizona. So my oldest son, Brian, and I have done this one before. I can't remember what year it was. I don't know. 20, I want to say 2012, maybe 2013, something like that, before I moved away from there and came back here to South Carolina. So this says it's one of the more convoluted courses on the Spartan race calendar. The trails and tracks never cease to twist, turn, and keep you guessing as to which direction they will take you next. Nestled neatly, hold on. Nestled neatly in the northeast corner of Phoenix within the county of Maricopa. The reservation is a 40 square mile area, just a fraction of the ancestral territory of the once nomadic Yova, Yavapai? Yova, Yavapai? Yava. I think it's Yavapai people three words to describe the enormous area warm dusty and dry this event favors runners that can move quickly between obstacles and punishes those that take it for granted hydration is key to success many areas of the course will be single track trails with cacti on either side when you see an opportunity to accelerate such when making your way over the dried riverbeds do what you can to seize it Conquer the course here, and you will have ran across an area steeped in rich American culture and history. Show respect to the terrain you cover, and leave no trace. So, I think that's what we're going to do, um, because I may be out there living in Arizona. Still undecided yet. Still uh, in talks uh, with myself and with my older son and his wife and my parents and a bunch of other people. I may make the move. I may make. Uh, no move. I don't know what I'm doing. But the podcast will move with me. So, <clears throat> all right. Let's talk about the beers I drank the other night that I shouldn't have drank. Strawberry Shortcake is one of them from Low Tide Brewing Company. It's uh, 6.7% ABV, 45 IBUs, average uh, 3.88 rating. It's called the Milkshake IPA. It's a new style that incorporates low bitterness, lactose sweetness, and hazy yeast with juicy fruity aroma to create a beer that will bring all the boys and girls to the yard all the boy what my milkshake brings the soft strawberry aroma mixes with tropical fruit fruity hot profile and vanilla sweetness to create this unique and easy drinking ipa here's what i thought about it uh i wrote it down as i was drinking it Uh, I said, I see what they were going for and I get it, but not really for me. That being said, they hit the nail on the head. So they did a good job on it. Just not my, not my cup of tea. The next thing I drank, <clears throat> man, is a uh, sidestepper from Charlestown Fermentory over in West Ashley. It's an Imperial IPA, 8.3% ABV, has no IBUs listed. Says it's uh, tangerines, fruit punch, passion fruit, ripe melon, dry, soft, and creamy. I said another solid one from the hazy IPA, IPA gurus of Charleston. Fruity, dry, slightly bitter, 
clean and perfect. Could be one of their best. All right, moving forward. We've got uh, No Crust from Funky Buddha Brewery. It's a brown ale. It's an American. Where is Funky Buddha? Let me take, take a look here. I'm sorry, I keep sniffing, man. It's uh, Oakland Park, Florida. All right. Let me go back. No Crust. This little peanut gave PB&J a fresh new look. No Crust is a bready brown ale that sandwiches the aroma of creamy peanut butter and a fruity, fresh with a fruity, fresh reminiscent of mixed berry. I'm sorry. Let me put my glasses on. This little peanut gave PB&J a fresh new look. No Crust is a bready brown ale that sandwiches the aroma of creamy peanut butter with a fruity finish reminiscent of mixed berry jam. One taste will envelop you in waves of nostalgic flavor. Just don't forget to cut the crust. I never cut the crust on my PB&Js. Put that out there. What did I say about it? Smells exactly like a PB&J. It tastes a little more jelly than peanut butter, but close to a perfect balance. Peanut butter finishes quite a few seconds later. Damn, this is delicious. That's what I said. I had two more here, guys. These were all at uh, Cafe Craft over off of uh, Dorchester Road. Fantastic place. 17 beers on tap. You can get half pours or 10-ounce pours. You can get pints. You can get uh, tasters. You can do flights, all that good stuff. They got some food down there, too. This is uh, from Third Rock Brewing Company, Continuum. Third Rock is Trenton, North Carolina. I'm not even sure what Trenton, North Carolina is. I think we've talked about it before on another podcast, though. It is 8% ABV, no IBUs, average 3.76. A decadent dessert in a glass. This creamy coffee porter rakes up your senses with cold brew coffee flavor and ignites your desire with rich chocolate notes. What did I say about it? A little too bitter on the coffee. Not bad, just had better. Chocolate porter might be a more appropriate name than a coffee porter. Chocolate porter might be more appropriate and had more chocolate, I thought. Last one here, guys. This is a Rise and Fight Again IPA from 13 Stripes Brewery. 13 Stripes is at a Taylor's, South Carolina. Maybe that's the one we've talked about before, Taylor's. This one is 6% ABV, 60 IBUs, average rating 3.73 on untapped. It's an IPA brewed with Azaka, Mandarin, Bavaria, and Cascade Hops. We fight, get beat, rise, and fight again. It's a quote by Nathaniel Green there. What did I say about it? I don't, I don't remember saying much about it. I said nicely balanced and very well done. That's all I said. So, there's the beers I drank. Now, what am I drinking tonight, guys? Tonight, I am drinking out of Gatlinburg, Tennessee, from the Spice and Tea Exchange, Iron Goddess of Mercy Tea. One of the most prized Chinese oolongs. This semi-oxidized tea can be re-steeped three times, producing a naturally sweet infusion of delicate, with delicate touches of spring. So, just drinking an oolong tea tonight, guys. That's all. I, you know, crafted it myself. I brewed it myself. Um, what else do we got here? So, I talked about all the beers. Hmm. How many women out there carrying their their phones, their cell phones in their bra? I've seen it, you know, 
this is one of those views from a bar stool, I guess, that I do sometimes. But I've seen um, numerous women here lately, late at night normally. It's not usually during the day I don't see people walking around with it. Maybe if you're at Disneyland or something, Disney World. But I've seen many women out there carrying their phones in their bra. I just don't How is that a thing? I don't even understand how that's a thing. I mean, anyway, email me, craftconversations.com pod at gmail.com or send me a message on facebook or on instagram or just get in touch with me somehow however you can let me know if you're carrying your phone and your bra and what you think about it if it's a thing if you like it if you don't like it just tell me what you think about it i had a memory show up on facebook the other day and i like i kind of like how sometimes you don't want to see the memory that shows up um it wasn't a good memory that you had like you know i've had some that have really torn me um, in two different directions, you know, I had one show up, I had two of them show up actually back, not back to back, but in consecutive days or maybe uh, a couple of days apart. One of them, and this is not even where I was going, but one of them was a, a hike that I did with my ex-wife in the, uh, Harding ice fields up in Alaska, man, you want to talk about it. If you can ever make it to Alaska during the summertime, you have to do, you have to do it. Without a doubt, forget all the salmon fishing, forget all the bear hunting, forget all the the moose looking, forget all the um, backcountry snow skiing, forget all the Iditarod, forget all that stuff, man. Forget Seward's, forget the wildlife glacier tours. Get your ass up. Get in shape before you go up there if you're not already in shape. Get your ass up there and go to the Harding Ice Field. Hike that hike. It's about an eight-hour hike up and back. You can sit at the top as long as you want, but up and back, it takes about eight hours. That thing is phenomenal. So that was one of the, the pictures that came up it was us, uh, a group of us. I think there was eight of us that went that day um, sitting at the top of this Harding Ice Field, and all you see is just an ice field of glaciers. As far as the eye can see, you're at the top of, you're at the, top of the world, you feel like. I mean, you feel like you couldn't go any further. Uh, obviously you could there's other places um, that are a lot taller than that but you start off at the ground level uh, it's almost like you're in a rainforest when you start off and then as you gradually go up you, you start getting less and less uh, foliage you start getting less and less trees the trees start getting shorter next thing you know there are bushes next thing you know there's no bushes you just you got rocks the next thing you know you're climbing across a glacier and the next thing you know you're going through some snow the terrain is just ridiculous. Is the different terrains that you go through and the different scenery that you evolve through up, and then you know you reverse it on the way down. So it's just, oh my God, it's probably. I would say, <clears throat> besides the fifty-mile um, ultra marathon that I did in Hope, Alaska, that's probably the best experience that I had while I was in Alaska the best and I did we did a whole bunch of things in Alaska I mean I was up there we were up there six and a half years I can't begin to tell you and maybe maybe I will maybe I'll have a whole show about uh, what what we did in Alaska but top two things in Alaska Harding Icefield get up there and do it a few days after that so you know my ex-wife's in there so that's why I'm saying it's, it's best memory but now it's kind of a it's kind of a bitter memory as well Maybe it's not a bitter memory. I don't want to say that. It's a it's fantastic memory, whether or not my wife was in the picture or not. The next one that I see is probably the best time I had in Hawaii. Again, with my ex-wife and both my kids. 
in Maui at uh, Kanapali Beach Resorts, and we took a picture out. We were doing a luau and took a picture together. My favorite picture we have ever taken together ever in the 21 year in the 20 plus years that we were together. My favorite picture. So I'm like, come on, Facebook, what are you doing to me over here, man? What are you doing to me? And I mean, yeah, what are you doing to me? So to get back to my original story, and I'm just rambling tonight, guys, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry I put you, I probably put you in a horrible mood right off the bat. Hopefully I'm kind of lightening it up a little bit. Had another memory on Facebook come up the other day from where I ran the uh, Mayor's Marathon. Did that marathon up there two or three times, three times. And <clears throat> I don't know exactly if this was the one or not, but I've run a lot of stuff. You know, I, I, I put a picture out there the other day, not to brag and boast. I just, I like to try and inspire people. I'm not trying to say, hey, I'm better than you and I've done all this stuff. What are you doing? I'm just trying to say, hey, look, man, look what you can accomplish. You can get, put yourself out there, get out there and challenge yourself. Get out there and show yourself that you can do hard things. Life really revolves around hard things. You have to have hard things. If you don't have hard things, you don't grow. You don't evolve. If you just live an easy, steady life, you're just going to grow stale. You're going to grow stale. You're going to start growing mold. You're going to get fat. You're going to get weak. You have to grow. You have to push yourself. You have to challenge yourself. You have to have hard times. You have to have these things. So, this was a mayor's marathon. I'm not sure if this is the one or not, but I, the only time, what did I say before that? I kind of forgot. So I, I put a thing out there of all the medals that I've got, which are probably about a third of anything, of everything that I've ever accomplished in my life, um, from 5Ks to one milers to 5Ks to 10Ks to 8Ks to half marathons to uh, triathlons to marathons to ultra marathons to, I don't know, name your thing, Spartan races, of course, Rugged Maniacs, Devil Dashes, uh, Warrior Dashes, um, more ultra marathons. Anyway, this thing came out, the Mayor's Marathon, and I think this is the one I ran with a buddy of mine um, out in Alaska, and I'm not going to say his name. Well, his name's Jeff. He has a name. I decided to run this one. I think the other two, well... One I'd run with a buddy of mine, Orlando. <clears throat> One I'd done by myself. And then the last time I did this Mayor's Marathon, I did it with Jeff. And we were running together. I was not feeling good at all. I didn't prepare for this thing. I'd run. This was one of the last marathons I ran. Uh, close to it, anyway. And I, I just didn't prepare for it. I thought I could just run marathons all day long, and I didn't need to properly prepare. And I just, I really bit the bullet on this one. I, we were about three to four miles in. I mean, I, we had just started and I mean, this is a marathon, 26.2 miles. And I told Jeff, I said, man, Jeff, don't worry about me. I know you've trained hard for this thing, man. This is your first marathon. I want you to be successful. Get out there and get it, man. Don't try and keep up with me because I'm, I'm going to slow you down. So I told Jeff to go on up ahead. Um, I get about six miles in. And I'm just feeling like total dog shit. I mean, I'm sweating profusely. My legs are heavy. I can barely move them. Um, I have a huge headache. I'm just not feeling good at all. 
And this may be around the time, you know, I mentioned during one episode about uh, this condition I had, blood condition called polycythemia vera. This could have been, you know, around the time when I started developing this thing, uh, which is blood thickening, um, blood cancer, where you make too many red blood cells. But mile six, I'm just, oh, I'm having the hardest time. And I'm telling myself, come on, Brian, you've never quit anything in your life. Jesus, you just ran a 50-mile ultra marathon, not not too uh Soon before this, uh, if you ran 50 miles, you're going to run 26.2 miles. Come on, get your ass up, get your legs moving, pick up the pace a little bit, get up this hill, um, take it one step at a time, one foot in front of the other. You know, I had this mantra that I always used to to say, I don't know who the original quote was from, but I know uh, Dean Kernazaris, who was a, a, a world-class ultramarathoner and marathoner, he would say, uh, run when you can, walk if you have to, crawl if you must. Just never give up. So that was the mantra. I kept running through my head. Come on, man. You've done 50-mile mar- 50 marathon. Come on. Uh, run if you can. Walk if you have to. So I'd, I'd walk a little bit. I'd run a little bit. I wasn't crawling. So I get to seven miles. I get to eight miles. I get to nine miles. I'm like, come on. Just keep pushing miles. And before you know it, you're going to be at the finish line. I got to mile 13, and I I quit. I told myself, it's dangerous. My both my hands were numb, uh, untangly. I felt like um, um, my traps were up in my in my ears, at the tops of my ears, almost at the top of my head. My head felt like it was about to explode. I was just super dehydrated. I had no electrolytes in me. I couldn't move another muscle. I got to mile thirteen. And I said, Brian, you did it, man. You did a half marathon today. Be proud of yourself, but you're going to have to quit. I, I, I got to the aid station there at mile 13. I walked over to uh, some people at the, at the tent, and I said, I quit. I said, I need a ride back to my car. I'm done. I can't go another uh, 10 feet. So they ended up getting on the walkie-talkie. They had me sit down. They fed me water. They were putting cold compresses on me, trying to cool me down. My body temperature had gone up to about 100 and uh, they end up taking me down as, as we're going down the mountain. I start feeling better, of course. You know, the fluids are in me. I start cooling. My body, core body temperature starts going down. And uh, they take me. They said, you want us to take you to the ER on the base? And I said, no, just take me to my car. I mean, I'll be fine. And uh, I get to the car. I sat there. My hands are still numb and tingling. And end up calling my ex-wife or wife at the time. And said, hey. I didn't make it. I know you're at the finish line waiting on me with the kids, and I apologize. Um, I had to quit. So, moral of the story: that's the first time I've, first and only time I've ever quit a, quit a race. Um, I've always managed to somehow get myself across the finish line, whether I crawled across it, whether I walked across it, whatever. So, but there's no shame in quitting. I mean, sometimes, sometimes you quit, man. You can't win every goddamn thing. You can't always make it across that finish line. Sometimes you got to just listen to your body and you got to do what it's telling you to do. Now, with that said, a lot of times when your body tells you you need to quit, you're only at about 40% of what your body can actually do. It's your mind that's giving up on you. It's not your body. Your body can normally do it. Could I have made it to the finish line? Probably. You know, I, I just, I hit that wall and I've hit many walls in, in the races that I've done. And usually you just gotta, you gotta 
got to get around that wall. You just got to push through it. That day, I wasn't doing it. I gave up. So, Facebook memories, man, they can be good. They can they can bring some uh, some joy back to you. They can make you smile. Sometimes they can make you cringe. I'm like, ooh, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> that was a bad time in my life. That was a bad relationship. I shouldn't have been with that person. No, that was horrible. Um, but most of the most of the time, Facebook gets it right, man. They they send you a pretty good memory and and it makes you smile, makes you nostalgic. Um, I've talked about this before. It it, it can it can bring back a smell. It can bring back a uh, it can bring back the temperature it was that day, the, how the sun was, how the clouds were in the sky. You're a time traveler. You can go back in time. Um, we just haven't quite invented the machine to physically take you there. But you can go back there in your mind sometimes, and that's okay. Um, people say, you know, forget the past. Uh, really, go, go back in past. You can go back in the past. Do that quite often because there's some amazing things that happen in your past. There are some fucked up things too, but sometimes you got to look back at those and say, oh, I remember what I learned from that time. And you move forward. Then you move forward. But look back sometimes and just take a look and say, oh, yeah, I did that back there. That's cool. But now look at me now. So <sighs> that's all I got, guys. I'm worn out. I got to edit this thing and put some music on it or whatever. I don't even know if it's good enough to put out. I'm going to go back and listen to it before I even do any of that and make sure it's what I want to put out there. But, you know, I, I try and live with no second takes, um, no filter. And uh, this was definitely unfiltered tonight. I've got other stuff written down here that I wanted to talk about. Um, I will mention one thing. You know, a girlfriend of mine wanted me to mention the, the military suicides, man, you know, it was a big thing while I was active duty. And man, I don't want, I don't want to hit on a somber note, but 22 military members a day commit suicide. It's a big number. We need to be helping these people. We need to be supporting um, these men and women in, in uniform and making sure that they're safe because they're making sure that we're safe. And I've, I've known a couple that have ended their lives. So it makes me emotional one more time, but I don't really want to end on that note, but that's the note I'm going to end on, guys. So I hope this was entertaining, informative. Maybe you learned a little something. Maybe um, maybe it hit a nerve. But I don't know. Maybe it'll make you think. Talk to you soon, guys.